Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Weston Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, yesterday we got our second look this spring at a Packers organized team activity, also known as an OTA. And uh, I want to start with... We have a lot of observations, obviously, from this uh, this practice we got to witness. But I want to start with what you brought up in our Three Things video that we did uh, at the end of practice with Larry McCarron because you talked about what you saw from first-round draft pick Eric Stokes. And um, just want you to expand on that because he, he, was, he was an interesting guy to watch uh, when they went to the 11-on-11 work there towards the tail end of the workout. And as we found out after practice, he actually also signed his first-round pick contract. There we go. He's also on under Wednesday. contract now. So I don't know if he had a little extra juice, you know, in his you know, <laughs> Yeah, body. there was suddenly a bunch more money in his bank account. We know that. So. Yeah, tend to show up a little bit better after <laughs> yeah. bonus day, right? At least I do. Uh, but, no, I mean, here, here's what you look for during the off-season program, right? Because it's non-contact. It's, it's usually big moments. But what stood out to me the most about Eric Stokes is he took a really good first open practice that we were able to be at, and I felt like he followed up on it in the second one, stringing those together. We don't know what the other practices were like in between. Yeah, we're, we not, can, there, we're not there every day at this point. We but. can only see what's in front of us. And what I saw, Mike, is a guy that his body awareness and positioning is exceptional for a rookie player. The, the 40 time, as I said during three things, Sub four three forty time. That's going to obviously catch your attention. The the breaking out with the interceptions last year at Georgia. That's going to catch your attention because yeah. that's something he lacked before his his final season there. Yeah. But it was the fact that you know there was a stat that stood out to me from Pro Football Focus about how he had like the lowest uh, passer rating allowed in man coverage in college football last year. Where I think at least a hundred snaps with was like eighteen point five. And when I watched him in practice, and especially during the team periods that we were, we were able to see, you see why this guy is so hard to complete a pass against. One, he's pretty long and lengthy for the position. Two, he has great speed so that if he is out of position, the recovery is going to be there, especially waiting for that ball to arrive. But three, it's how he positions himself to narrow that window, that catch radius for the receiver. There was one play, and again, I understand Devontae Adams isn't here right now, yep. but he's going up against Reggie Bagleton, uh, the practice squad receiver from last season that's coming back. And I thought Bagleton had a nice little route going for himself in the past, which I believe was from Jordan Love, was pretty much in the vicinity of where it needed to be. But when a cornerback with his safety help over the top with Adrian Amos when you see those things, those things marry together, the you know, in the way that they did on that specific play, even though it wasn't a big pass breakup, even though it wasn't an interception, it was the type of play that stands out because you can see how it translates to game setting. Yeah, absolutely, and we do have to qualify this. I mean, the Packers' top five receivers yes. essentially on the depth chart are not at the voluntary OTAs, but what we're seeing from Eric Stokes actually has me even more excited to see when he does line up across from Alan Lazard or Marquez Valdez-Scantling or Devontae Adams when training camp rolls around. I go back to what I, what I saw during the rookie minicamp where Stokes and defensive backs coach Jerry Gray were having a conversation after a certain play, and Gray, Gray was really harping on him about, okay, 
the receivers were the receivers were split this way. This this was how they were lined up. Like he's only going to run you know this route or this route. You need to be able to anticipate you know the one or the other. And you know it, it's to see to see a rookie in one of his first practices in the NFL already getting that from yes. the defensive backs coach. That tells you there are already so many other tools that are in place here when it, when right away, Jerry Gray is trying to say, Hey, this isn't just about technique. It's not just about the physical skills. We want to get you to anticipate the routes um, and try to be a step ahead of the offense as much as you can. That's the kind of stuff that most of the time young players will get from a Charles Woodson or a Tremont Williams as they get into the league for a year or two. And Eric Stokes is getting this, you know, pushed into him, I don't want to say pounded into him, but but pushed on him by Jerry Gray right from the get-go, which I think tells you how much potential the Packers feel this young man has. Yeah, and as you mentioned, Mike, when you Packers eventually do have their whole receiving core back in training camp or minicamp, however this shuffles out, the reason I want to see that is the same reason from back in 2018 when Jair Alexander got to Green Bay, because it's not about, oh, Eric Stokes is just going to go out there and he's just going to dominate. They won't be able to complete a pass on, to Adams or Lazard. Yeah. Or, or MVS, it's not about that. Right. It's about the individual reps and seeing that level of competition, not only anticipating what the route is going to be, but how those guys pivot off those routes, especially in this type of offense. That's the, that's the dimension that I can't wait to see now. And because Alexander isn't here right now, that's meant more reps in the, the bigger team defenses with Stokes. Josh Jackson has gotten some of those. Shannon Sullivan. This is a big opportunity, Mike, because you know you have Kevin King. You know you're going to have... Alexander and on the back end it's going to be Savage and Amos that's four six two-thirds of the big secondary when you look at the the money down it's those other two spots in understanding where guys are going to play in that position that that's what's got to get shuffled out here and I feel like Stokes has put his best foot forward here in his first month in Green Bay yeah I would agree sticking with the defensive side of things another interesting development we saw yesterday you had written a story that was uh, from kind of off of last week's OTA that we posted on Monday about, you know, the Packers inside linebacker room. There's obviously a lot of attention on Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin being the two rookies from last year who kind of made a name for themselves in different ways. But then we saw at practice yesterday, suddenly Chris Barnes is lined up with Ty Summers with the number one defense. And there were other pairings and other matchups with those inside linebackers as they went through the 11-on-11 reps. And it just, as I said in the Three Things video, it just seems to me like the defensive coaches are setting things up here for what's going to be a very wide-open competition in training camp for those inside linebacker spots. Now, I do think Chris Barnes is you know, the leader on the course, so to speak, to, to steal a golf phrase right now. Um, I do think he's the number one guy right now. But when you talk about, I mean, we, we don't know necessarily with Joe Barry's defense. I mean, you know, how does how does he want to set up the pecking order? Or how often does he want to play two inside linebackers? Does he want to train another guy to have a specific role in, say, the dime defense that maybe another guy wouldn't have? All of those kinds of things, we have to see how it plays out. And when you're talking about Barnes, Summers, Martin, uh, Oren Burks, and then a rookie uh, sixth-round draft pick, Isaiah McDuffie from Boston College, 
Um, I think we're going to see a lot of rotation, a lot of mixing, mixing and matching in terms of the pairings as, as we get into training camp. And uh, the coaches are going to be studying that film and seeing and, and really trying to see what they think, uh, what they think the best possibilities are in this scheme of Joe Barry's. Yeah, and that's the feeling out process of understanding what your personnel is, the, the player that you added to that group in McDuffie, and trying to figure out, okay, who's going to be the best position to, to step into those roles when we go into training camp and, and potentially try to hold on to them. The, the one thing that stands out to me about last season is that out of all my time on the beat, and there's a lot of different machinations of the inside linebacker combinations you and I have covered yeah uh, all the way from Clay Matthews moving inside to Nate Palmer and Jamari Lattimore and Brian and Brad Jones moving from outside linebacker to inside linebacker we've seen it all but last year was unique in that I don't remember a scenario in which you saw the communication helmet pass as much as it did um, throughout the course of last season now eventually it did sort of settle on Chris Barnes but then when Barnes got hurt you had Ty Summers, who wasn't in any of the defensive packages. Well, he was the next Mike. Uh, so when I saw practice this week, you wonder how much of that is. One, making sure that, okay, Summers is the, the Mike behind Barnes at this time. But how much is it him also getting an opportunity to potentially be the Will now that you don't have Christian Kirksey's gone in the nickel right. and then competing with Kamal Martin for that role in the base? Ty Summers arguably maybe has the most experience of anyone at the inside linebacker position when you factor in the fact that Oren Burks ended up spending time with the outside linebackers. So this is a wide open competition. I thought it was really telling that when myself and many other reporters were asking, you know, both Barry and, and Kirk Oliviadati about Barnes and Martin, they were very, they made it a point to talk about the entire group. Yeah. And that, that is a position. While you have the two rookies coming back from last season, that is a position where the Packers are looking to put their best two on the field, and they're going to cast a really wide net to do it. Yeah. Well, I want to shift gears to the offensive side of the ball, but first, Wes, Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7 365. All right. Well, one of the players that we heard from in the post-practice Zoom calls with the media yesterday was second-year running back A.J. Dillon. And I tell you what, he did not mince words at all. And, yes, he talked a lot about his quads and all of that. <laughs> um, I, I, the whole quad father, quadzilla, it's, it's entertaining. I get it. He stole your me, moniker, though. What's that? He stole your moniker. Yeah. That was a Spofford thing before A.J. Dillon got drafted here. <laughs> all right, that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> But what he did say that uh, that really caught my ear is that he did not hesitate whatsoever. He was asked about this pairing now of him with Aaron Jones, and he said, I think we can be the best running back duo in the NFL. Um, now, obviously, you like to hear that. He, this is a, a workhorse guy from Boston College who carried the ball a ton who has already had to adjust to, you know, not being the guy, right? He hasn't he hasn't been the feature guy. He's not going to be the number one guy in this offense with when Aaron Jones is healthy and available and on the field. But we've talked about it before. The possibilities the possibilities here with your two hundred and eight pound Aaron Jones and your two hundred and forty seven pound AJ Dillon, it's really intriguing just where this might go in twenty twenty one with the Packers ground game. Here's what I love 
about A.J. Dillon. And first off, i got to mention this, Mike, because I always have like that Hods take bar when we do final thoughts. Tyler Gajewski super yeah. gets that in the lower third. Yeah. This is kind of Hods take. You talk about being the featured guy, not being the workhorse back. I'm going to tell you something right now to every young running back out there. It's not the worst thing in the world. Right. It worked out well for Aaron Jones. And, hey, I know everybody wants to come in and be a year one starting running back. But I'm going to be honest with you. You ain't making the big money yet. I mean, I, I feel like there's actually a lot to be said for not introducing a running back into the league and just grinding them all the way down to the gas tank is empty. Yeah. So that's a topic for another day. I'm going to throw this back at you, though. I've covered the team full-time since 2012. A little bit in 2011 when we were trying to figure some stuff out with the Green Bay Press because that staff, but since 2012. At least during my time, I can say unequivocally, I think – A.J. Dillon's the most confident running back that has walked in the door in terms of being a draft pick to just putting his foot down and saying, yeah, I feel the way I speak, the words I say, and the way, the confidence I have in my ability. It jumps off the page to me in terms of just what his oral. I'm trying to think if there's even another guy that even comes close to him during the last 25 years. Yeah, I mean, I think I will will say this. I will say that, but in terms of his extroverted the way he speaks i've not seen anything like it yeah i mean i think from from a personality standpoint obviously eddie lacy was was very different but i think uh he he was very different externally but i i think internally eddie lacy knew that he belonged in the nfl yeah oh totally you know from 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 the get-go so i will say that and those are the two guys that the packers have invested second round draft picks you know in the running back position but uh um you know, I, a lot of the fans are asking questions with with regard to Dylan. What about the pass catching ability yes. and 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 whatnot? Because it's not something that was part of Boston College's offense. In you know, he had 21 pass receptions out of the backfield the last two years at Boston College. Didn't have any actually the first year that he was the featured back there. So. It's not that he doesn't have the ability to do it. It's that he was never really asked to yeah. do it. He knows. I mean, all you have to do is look at the stats. The last two years, Aaron Jones has caught 96 passes. Second Jamal, William, Jamal Williams caught 70 yep. the last two years as the number two guy behind Aaron Jones. So A.J. Dillon knows that that's, that's the one big part of his game that he has to work on in order to try to maximize his opportunities to to get on the field. And we've seen it already in the OTAs. Now, when it's not necessarily full speed, when it's not, uh, you know, padded up and all that kind of stuff, you know, you, you take everything with a grain of salt, so to speak. But the more of those reps that he can get now in the springtime, then when it is 11 on 11 in August in full pads and he's got to run, he's running that wheel route out yep. of the backfield – and that ball is going to be coming his way with whether it be Chris Barnes or Adrian Amos or whoever it might be, you know, closing in to try to break that pass up. The more reps that he gets right now in that situation, the more comfortable he's going to feel come uh, come this summer. And I think that's going to be a big thing to watch uh, through August here in, in training camp with this young man. And this is a big time for the running backs in that regard. I remember even you go back to ooh, 2015 maybe. I mean, Mike McCarthy kind of even scaled back the amount of reps that they took handing off the ball yeah. to put more of an emphasis on guys catching the ball, running yeah. backs catching the ball. Some would say maybe they skewed a little too far in that direction, but that showed you the emphasis that was there and just kind of how the league was evolving. 
To tie back to my previous point about Dylan, as you said, there's a number of different ways you can go about having confidence, but the swagger that Dylan carries himself with, there's certain expectations that kind of come with that, and the young man doesn't shy away from those. He enjoys having that spotlight on him, and I feel like that's a really important characteristic in the running back profession in that game because I'll tell you what, Mike, there's a lot of stuff they still need to work on. The pass catching is one of them. Run blocking. All right, no, I should say pass blocking. We're going to have to learn more about that. Can you be a third down, a reliable third down back? Right. But from a structural standpoint, building a running back up from the base, I mean, the guy checks all the boxes. And I think when you hear him say things like, I feel like myself and Aaron Jones can be the best running back due on the league, that's a really high goal to set for yourself. But you can tell with the way he says it. One, it's not braggadocio or anything like that. Yeah. Did I say that right? Braggadocio? Braggadocio. Braggadocio. Yeah. It's not like he's trying to just say, well, I'm the best. He's saying that's where we think we can take this thing. And that's why that message really resonated with me when he said it. Because it wasn't just that, oh, yeah, sure, I'm the best. It's No, I mean, this is. I saw what I could do in a really small sampling last year, and I feel like I can do it again. Yeah, he talked about, uh, yes, that. He understands the whole thunder and lightning, you know, type of thing with with him and Aaron Jones. But he said, you know, if Aaron Jones is the lightning, this is this is a pretty tough dude who can grind out some yards when you need to. And he says, if I'm the if I'm the thunder, I got some speed and I can run away from guys, which we saw a 30 yard touchdown run when he had that that uh, 24 carry, you know, 100 yard two touchdown game against Tennessee. Yes. You know, which uh, helped the Packers clinch the division title. So. You know, you're talking about, uh, um, as you said, small sample size, but uh, but we've seen, you know, Aaron J- Aaron Jones is not just a scat back, and yeah. he's proven that. And AJ Dillon is out to prove he's not just a power back; that he's got more to his game. Absolutely. And I think he's going to get that opportunity this year. In his that. when he hits that that fourth gear, I mean, it's it's get out of the way. I mean, that was my takeaway from the the Tennessee game because even you and I, Mike, we didn't see a lot of. A.J. Dillon. I mean, when you had to get Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams ready for the season during a shortened training camp, that's where all those reps went. We saw Dillon and some of the young guys' periods. He only had a handful of reps before the COVID deal, and then he came back, and that's what stood out to me. When he breaks through that first front of the defense and he's able to hit that next gear, good luck stopping that 247-pound body because it's not coming down easily. Yeah, no question about it. Yeah, and missing a month and a half or whatever it was like he did with the uh, the COVID situation last year was unfortunate for for him as a rookie. But fortunately for the Packers, they didn't necessarily need him because you had Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. And then when they did need him in the big uh, late December game against Tennessee, he came through. The young man delivered. So um, one other topic to get to with regard to the offense before we go, we also did hear from tight end Robert Tunyon. And uh, it was interesting. We didn't just hear from him, but we also heard from head coach Matt LaFleur, who made, uh, you know, no bones about the fact that he feels – you know, even with Tunyon coming off of what I believe was almost 600 yards receiving, double-digit touchdowns, um, you know, tying for the the league lead in touchdown receptions among tight ends with all-pro Travis Kelsey, he thinks even with as deep as this tight end group is with the Packers, that there's more out there for Robert Tunyon, that there could be some more opportunities to feature him in this offense even more. I found that to be a very interesting comment when you've got Mercedes Lewis, you've got Josiah DeGuara coming back from the knee injury, um, you know, 
Jay Sternberger's had some injury issues yeah. his first couple years. We're still trying to see where that goes. And then Dominique Daphne was a guy who yes. stepped in late last season, caught a big touchdown pass in Chicago in Week 17 in a big victory. So there's a lot here going on at the tight end position for the Packers. But uh, Robert Tunyon is going to be a, uh, a featured player in this offense. Yeah, it really stands out to me because I remember for a number of years I'd sit at the locker with Robert and I basically would just keep asking the same question over and over again. Do you feel like a tight end? Do you feel like a tight end? And and we're, we're, we're so far past that now. Yeah. But now the era that we're entering is this guy could be a, a Travis Kelsey, a George Kittle you know, type impact player in this offense. And to be honest with you, Mike, I know everybody will automatically say, well, that's what they had with, with Jermichael Finley. They did and they didn't because, one, the Packers were so deep with their receiving core at that time, Finley almost kind of fit in with that room. There was a time where he was taken off the weight to almost be more like a receiver. As far as an inline tight end, Robert Tunyon has been the perfect project for Green Bay, and, and I made a lot about it. I made a lot of it for a number of years about him working with Jimmy Graham for two years. However things win in Green Bay, fans have their personal feelings on it. Jimmy Graham's one of the best pass-catching tight ends that come through this league in the last 20 years, and he's yeah. still playing. Mercedes Lewis, who's going to make a bona fide run here at being the longest-tenured NFL tight end ever, potentially, <laughs> if he can do this for two or three more seasons. Yeah, One of the most block, best blockers that has kept him in this league here the last 10 years. Having those two guys guiding him, I don't think that can be overstated, just how valuable that was. And, and now Tunyon's the guy. And for the Packers to be able to find a young man like that that was a former college quarterback that then transitioned to receiver, that went to D Detroit and had a t you know, tough experience there, was out of the league completely, and then he kind of works his way up from the practice squad to where he is today. I mean, that's, this is an emotional thing now for Green Bay that that guy isn't just a great story anymore. I mean, Robert Tunyon very well could be one of the biggest playmakers in the NFC. Yeah, as you called him in Insider Inbox, the uncrowned Pro Bowler. I well, mean, that's you, you talk yeah. you talk about a guy getting snubbed. That's not for, even a debate for a Pro Bowl honor. I mean, and and his his uh, his teammates. I remember late last season, his teammates were you know now we we weren't in the locker room. Obviously, we were only talking to players over Zoom, but they were that that was maybe as flabbergasted as I'd ever heard multiple teammates talk about a guy. Maybe since. You know, the one year that T.J. Lang, like, didn't get, I remember when he did, yeah. before he got his first Pro but Bowl honor. But at least subjective. Like, it's a, yeah, it's a his, his, te his teammates were His teammates were absolutely blown away that he got that he got as overlooked as he was for that honor. So now, I mean, I get it. You know, the Pro Bowl's not the, not the be-all, end-all. And to his credit, you know, Tunyon doesn't look at it that way either. But he's got a lot of guys in that locker room that are behind him yeah. and are they're excited about what he accomplished and, and where he's potentially going with his career. Well, and God bless Evan Ingram. I, if Evan's watching this out there somewhere, you helped me win a fantasy football title like five years ago. The guy does have some name notoriety there, obviously was a credential player coming into the league. But I think Evan Ingram would tell you too. If we're all being honest with each other, when you factor <laughs> yeah. in not just the, the disparity in, in touchdowns between the two, but – the fact that Ingram had a lot of drops last year, and then Tunyon, by every metric that I can find, didn't have any. Yeah, he caught every caught every pass that he was asked to catch. It so. is what it is. I mean, yeah. it's, thankfully Robert was in his going into his restricted free agent year. It's not like he had any like Pro Bowl five hundred thousand dollars bonuses built into his contract that he got robbed of. But right. holy smokes! Yeah. Well, um, also before we go, it's pretty cool. I would have to say because we don't always get to see this, but. 
uh, both of the OTA practices, we've seen um, the guys rehabbing off yeah. to the side. And in this practice yesterday, Josiah DeGuara, David Bakhtiari, both coming back from ACL injuries, um, were working off to the side. Now, obviously, DeGuara's injury was uh, was early in the season, I believe week four or five, yeah. if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Week four but against I'll, Atlanta. Yeah, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what seeing what David Bakhtiari looks like right now, just as he's doing like these rehab drills. Now I'm, I'm no medical expert and I know everything with, with ACL timelines and all that things continue to change. But, uh, but man, I mean, that was new year's Eve. Yeah. He had that injury and obviously the surgery shortly thereafter, but, uh, Holy cow. I mean, we're in, we're in early June here and it does it, it looks like he is, much, much more than five months removed from from surgery. It it, it blows me away, honestly. I tweeted it, and people think I'm being funny, but I was 100% serious when I tweeted it. Everybody leaves, goes out the Hudson Center, cameras stop flickering because, okay, we all got the shot of all the players coming out. Send it out. It's the same video we've seen 1,500 other times, but be that as it may. And then very quietly... Out sprints David Bakhtiari once all the cameras are down. And when I say sprints, I mean legitimately sprints. I said he ran like a stallion out onto the field. He did. And to see him do the work uh, that he was doing on one foot and putting weight on that knee, uh, again, we we saw some of the videos, and you know the work that David puts into this thing and the fact that he takes a lot of pride in being the best left tackle in the game right now and a guy that's on a Hall of Fame trajectory, you know that matters to him. Yep. But it also matters to him to be out there for his team. So, uh, again, and the same thing with DeGuara. To see Josiah DeGuara at a position where there's a little bit more violent movement on the knee to be able to wake his way back. And, and he was off to such a great start, Mike. I mean, that game against Minnesota, again, you're going to look at it in a box score and you're going to say he had one catch for 12 yards. But if you watch the way Green Bay used him against the Vikings in the yeah. opener, how dynamic he was, the ways that they could use him, how well he fit into that hybrid H-back type role – that was a huge loss. And then for him to have the shin injury and then obviously end up tearing the ACL at the setback there. Two big players, I think. You know, they're not going to be the ones that are going to get the most clicks. They're not going to get all the headlines and everything like that. But to have them back in the fold and, and working and making progress in their rehabs, to see that June 2nd, holy crap. Yeah, yeah. It's been, uh, it's, 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 been, uh, it's, it's been interesting. And when we get to training camp, we the Packers are going to be – the Packers have always been conservative yes. with these guys coming back from major injuries. So I don't want anybody to take our conversation here as saying, well, first day of training camp, you know, first day in pads, David Bakhtiari yep. and Josiah DeGuar are going to be out there full speed. We're not making any promises in that regard. But what we are seeing um, in terms of getting, getting a look at their rehab at, at this stage, it's very promising for what 2021 holds for these players when you initially get an injury like that, especially David's uh, late in the season, yes. you know, heading into week 17, you wonder what really is in store for 2021. And I would just say things are looking pretty promising. And you and I were not making proclamations about week one, but the point I always try to make, I made the same point with Brian Balaga years ago when he, when he was coming off his second ACL. You are not on the field doing, they are not on the field doing what they were doing in early June if everything to that point hasn't gone well. And that's the point that you have to focus on. If you go and you don't see those guys during the offseason program, 
that's when the antenna starts to go up a little bit. So to see them out there is obviously a good sign. Yeah, definitely. Well, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team here through OTA's mini camp next week. The off-season program has a couple weeks to go. We'll be all over it for you on Packers.com. For Wes, I am Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.